0: production of Radio Six International
1: Hello from Edinburgh, I'm Ewan Spence and welcome to another hour of madcap fun, thought-provoking interviews, relaxing music and everything in between from another edition of ...of your show from the Edinburgh Festival Friends, the largest arts festival on the planet, descending on the best capital city in the world. Lots coming up over the next hour for you and you can find links to all the shows that we mentioned here back at the website corner.com you can use that to buy your tickets as well or if front, you go straight into the box office for the fringe which is edfringe.com big thank you as always to all we see the team over at Radio 6 International helping us with the production and distribution when we head out onto the radio you'll find more details on them at radio6.com and of course you'll find us as a podcast well at your local podcast emporium right uh, later on in the show we are going to be having music uh, from the show rust and also from the wonderful guitar talents of steve garrett and some jazz from carly e but we're going to start off with an interview with madeline skipsy from she sells seashells And now on the show, Madeleine Skipsey, welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I'm the sort of person who looks at that show title and go, I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. And then I think, you've got to flyer that for a month. Yes. She sells seashells.
2: She sells seashells. It's been practiced. <laughs> Which madden
1: idea did you go, I know what would be great when we'll be slightly tired at the fringe in week two and struggling to fly her because it's been a late night before.
2: Yeah, well, I think we can blame we can blame our writer, Helen Eastman, for that one, uh, really. But it is sort of integral to what the show is about. Yes. So um, I don't think you could call this show anything else, really. No. and it
1: does give you a nice way in and a nice introductory line. And as you say, it really does, as, as a good title, should encapsulate but ask questions at the same time. Yeah. Because we're talking about a show here that is based in a huge amount of fact mm-hmm. yeah, but absolutely. it's fact that the fact is you can't talk about it because there were no facts because it was all kind of airbrushed.
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely it's it's a story, it's a historical story um, but equally in that we've had to sort of piece it together because Mary Anning is a puzzle, um, we know lots about her character. Who is our our main main character? Yes, sorry, our show is about uh, uh, the life, the incredible life of this wonderful woman called Mary Anning, who was a fossil hunter in the 19th century. And um, she was absolutely fantastic at it. You know, she was visited by all the important people and institutions asking for advice, wanting to buy her fossils. But obviously, she was. A woman, and not only a woman, a working-class woman who was seen as a dissenter, um, and so in lots of ways wasn't recognised for her brilliance, and so this show has been about working out well what do we know about her as a real person from history, as somebody that lived and breathed, um, but also how do we put that across in in a theatrical piece?
1: And we know she exists.
2: She absolutely exists. Yeah, she was a person, Uh, definitely. And she
1: collects the fossils. And then she has to sell them.
2: Yeah, she doesn't just collect them. Um, she finds them and prepares them, which uh, is a painstaking process. So something I didn't know before the show is that to find a fossil, you need awful weather. You need to have had a storm. The cliffs need to have uh, turned over new rocks, tumbled, uh, you know, eroded away so that you can find new fossils. So she would go out in awful weather, horrendous weather, dangerous weather, and it was really dangerous, as we touch on in the show, Um, and she would find these fossils, and then she would painstakingly prepare them. And the preparation of a fossil is delicate, careful work. You need to know what you're doing. And we actually were really fortunate to have a sort of backstage tour of the Natural History Museum, where we were shown some of her finds that she found and we were talked through the techniques and the tools that were used which haven't changed a huge amount uh, in geology and paleontology. There, Lots of the things that she was using are very similar to what is being used now and it was an amazing thing to see things that she'd found she'd prepared and just see the level of skill that she had before she sold it and she sold it because they were very poor and it, it actually got a lot of you could get a lot of money for it um, but it was more than that for her it It was a way of, well, I I think, uh, obviously I'm projecting this onto her, but I think for her it was, yes, absolutely a way of making money because it's really clear that that was was, uh, motivation behind it. But it was also something that she really, she knew, she absolutely knew what she was talking about. Um, There's a wonderful bit in uh, one of her letters where someone has written to her for advice about getting something out of uh, the rock and she just says, don't bother. Not in that bit of rock, she doesn't even need to see it, and the reason she says, "Don't bother is because within uh, that part of the rock there's something called pyrite, um we call it fool's gold now, and I'm hoping I've said that correctly um, and this is something that is extremely volatile in in very small uh, when it's in very small areas and it it can it can ruin a fossil it can explode, it can um, expand um, and it can ruin a fossil and she just said, "Don't bother trying because it will just the fossil will be ruined as soon as you get it out and as soon as it oxidises.
1: And there's also no recognition for her that in that time period as well as the 19th century? No,
2: not at all. She was um, not recognised for any of her finds. Her name wasn't on them. So the name that would go on the fossils when they were, they were bought by a gentleman collector, they were then sold often to universities or museums, the name of that find would be the gentleman who had bought it from her, not her. And it's only in, within the last few years, actually, that... Uh, lots of museums have been trying to rectify this, Natural History Museum being one of them, and actually putting Found by Mary Anning on the specimens that she found, rather than the names of other people, Coney Bear, etc., who, who bought them from her. Um, but there was no recognition, even though you know she was she was recognised in the sense they came to her and they'd buy things from her, but that was it. She wasn't allowed... It wasn't the
1: academic recognition? Yeah,
2: yeah there wasn't at all. And there was zero chance of a, a woman being made a member of you know the Geological Society in the 19th century. It was just not not something that was going to happen um, for for her. And she was, yeah, ignored in that sense and, and not recognised. They were happy to go and take her things from her and buy from her. And that was all they gave her. And, and,
1: and then you have this story ready for the 21st century.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the great thing about this story is that she in lots of ways she embodies lots of women in science lots of women not just in science but in other disciplines who have been ignored and overlooked and not given the recognition but also her story is so individual it's so amazing that you can't just have her stand in for all these other women throughout history who've been ignored she deserves the telling in her own right and she absolutely deserves uh, the recognition that's happening now so she's been put on the national curriculum the primary school national curriculum the natural history museum have recognised her finds the geological society are supporting us there's a film coming out about her with Kate Winslet in it there's a book you know she's slowly getting there and, and she absolutely deserves that because she is such an incredible woman so incredible so clever
1: can, can you put the fossils that she found into into perspective
2: mm, absolutely so she found um, she found the first ever ichthyosaur skeleton um, and that was a incorrectly believed to be a crocodile, um, and then it was given this name, ichthyosaur, and actually that fossil, along with another fossil um, that she found called a plesiosaur, uh, they were, I'm making a big speaking statement here, but they were fossils which helped to prove the idea of evolution, that animals had become extinct, which if you imagine, 19, you know, uh, early 19th century, that the way in which that challenged ideas... Uh, religious ideas of the time was huge
1: so at the time the deck was really stacked against her Mm. and then she found stuff that stacked the deck even more absolutely
2: absolutely, yeah absolutely and it was stacked against her uh, from a religious standpoint anyway because she was a dissenter Um, she worshipped at the Congregationalist Church so there was was already that uh, issue within her community and then she found these things um, I mean apart from anything else she also was a woman that went out in all weathers selling to gentlemen finding these things having these ideas perhaps above her station, so to speak, um, it was absolutely stacked against her in so many ways. And then she found these incredible things that have really have changed our understanding of humanity and our understanding of the world.
1: So how do you bring all of that down to one hour on a stage here in Edinburgh?
2: (laughs) With difficulty. (laughs) Um, I think for us it was about working with our writer who's incredible and the cast and going, what are the core point you know Helen gave us this wonderful script that we uh did a, a research and development on earlier in the year um playing around what order should it be where are the emotional you know points and this isn't a, a, a biopic historical exactly accurate retelling most of it is that it all happened um but you know we've theatricalized it um and the the way in which we did that was just thinking about what are the core things that people need to know about this woman and how does that uh, create a journey of her life and her history with the emotional uh, lows, the emotional highs, uh, the, 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 the historical importance of it and uh, we were really fortunate that the president of the Geological Society, Professor Nick Rogers came to see um, came to see our show and he said, he said that you know it's absolutely right it's a theatrical storytelling of her life, it's not a biography but it's a theatrical storytelling of what happened to her, what she did and so for us it was a bit Interestingly, we felt a bit like it was, and I know Helen especially felt, uh, our writer felt, that it was a bit like excavating something. Like it was was about, you know, it was almost like she was a fossil and we were trying to uncover her and and find the right bits and put it together in the right way. And and what connects here and what might be missing here and, you know, to add all that together. And so for us, actually, the process of putting together the play was a little bit... Felt a little bit like a theatrical attempt to un- uncover a fossil and piece that story together and piece those bits together. It
1: is a, a delightful production. A lot going on. A lot of backstory. I mean, do you, do you hand out sort of like links and references and bibliographies at the end for people to know
2: more? <laughs> well, <laughs> just, that would be a great idea. We actually we actually haven't thought to do that, but there is a huge amount of um, people that we reference that people could obviously go and look up um, and we'd be happy to provide a bibliography should anybody want one um what we would really recommend is you know if people are interested the geological society are amazing they've they really have been trying to support now mary anning uh, um and put her, her her name up there so and they do you know you can go and visit their um building in in london um the natural history museum and yeah natural history museum um have also got so much on display they've got a whole mary anning collection and they've got this wonderful bit in um in the natural history museum where they it, it, they have different what are they called um cabinets, I want to call them, uh, display cabinets where they have preparators and collectors and they kind of go through all the different people involved in finding these fossils and Mary Anning's in there and lots of other people who were related to the work that she was kind of doing in the history of um, paleontology and geology are in there and th- they're excellent places to start if people are interested in in really getting to grips with it because it was fascinating, this backstage tour at the Natural History Museum was fascinating it made me come out and go, I want to be a geologist something that I never thought I'd say before but I really it was just such an interesting interdiscrimination Disciplinary science um, and history and geography and all that sort of stuff. And i so I'd recommend those two places as starting points for anyone.
1: No, no, there's one other starting place you should recommend.
2: Our show. Our show. <laughs>
1: yes. Let's Absolutely.
2: get the details in. Yes. Um, so we are on every day except the 12th um, at Underbelly Cowgates. We're at 1 30 uh, pm. So we're a lovely uh, after lunch uh, show. Uh, we welcome everybody. Um, We've had children come to our shows. Um, we recommend probably around age ten is a good a good age, but we have had eight year olds come who loved it. So um, just be aware of that. And um, we're on yeah every day except the twelfth underbelly, Calgate, one30 pm. Lovely, Madeline. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Madeline's keeping there from. Seashells, shells sea oh, you know what the one I'm going for more details on that show and everything that we mentioned back at the website emberfringe.thepodcastcorner.com right for now we're going to take some music uh, from Carly E uh, who is over just for the third week of the festival uh, from Amsterdam with a delightful mix of jazz and cello and everything else that is on Max in the show is It's That Simple and this is one of the tracks on the show You can't have my blues.
3: I'm gonna tell you a story It's about love and love and silence yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. why the days go by.
1: there with you can't have my blues from the show it's that symbol taking place at nicholson square greenside at 20 to 8 every evening through until the 24th right then what do we have next A delightful thought-provoking interview from darius davis and the show persian of interest Joining me now on the show, Darius Davis, Persian of Interest. It's another loaded pun title. I like them. Welcome.
4: Uh, hello. Thank you. Yes, uh, it is a loaded pun title. However, it was a... it was part of the show. It was a typo that, that came to be. So it wasn't... I didn't intentionally set out to have a oh, pun title. Right. So it's meant to be title.
1: about the French then, Parisian of Interest.
4: Person of Interest. Person someone, of interest. Someone made it. Someone made a spelling mistake.
1: But, that's, but
4: and they it went, turns out to be a really appropriate spelling
1: mistake. Was it the show and then the spelling mistake or the spelling mistake <sighs> then the show?
4: Uh, was, the show was a show and this was a, I don't know, it's a chicken and egg thing. It's a catalyst. But someone sent me an email in the show. I don't want to give spoilers. And they called me a person of interest instead of person. And I use that to my own advantage. So that's how it works. Set the scene for the show then for a start. So this show I've been previewing it for, you know, quite a long time now. I previewed it in Australia. It's been reviewed. Um one of the reviews I got, which was a nice one, they referred to it as the funniest, most thought provoking show on the fringe. Um I always try to make my shows funny and this show is very funny but it also kind of fits in with where we are now in 2019 as a, as a society and as a topical message regarding fake news but it doesn't hammer it home it wasn't set out to be that way it just as it transpired so the main bits about this show is I had some Spanish people come to a show of mine a few years ago and they hated it and they complained online and they tried to weaponize social media against me um, and it, it touches on that it also touches on my experiences on Tinder as a woman, when I <laughs> and finally it's a revenge story against Ryanair. So it's got three kind of different, distinct chapters that all tie in together to come to you know my final point and conclusion.
1: How do you approach writing something like that? Then do you, do you go themes first or characters? What's your process?
4: Well, this year is the first year I've really sat down and kind of. Plotted out and thought how I want to do something. Usually, what I do is just kind of look at what material I have, (laughs) what I kind of want to talk about, and kind of make it up as I go along. But this year, I sat down, took the time out to kind of review it, preview it, see how it flows, how it fits together. Um, And what's, I mean, I want to do stuff that's funny, pertinent, and interesting to me. And I want to, and they'll hopefully appeal. There'll be other people like me or find it very funny and interesting. And mostly it resonates, and I've done it to a, a whole load of disparate audiences, age, race, whatever, and they've all seemed to have enjoyed it.
1: It's not just person of Interest that you brought here at Edinburgh. There's a returning favourite as well.
4: Yes, so uh, along with Leo Kurse, uh who's doing a Edinburgh show, Transgressive, uh, The Gilded Balloon, together we are bringing up our show for, I believe it's the sixth year, Hate and Live. Uh, and this has just grown and grown and grown. So now we're in our biggest venue. We're in the caves, Just the Tonic, 10.30pm. Uh, we invite a panel of comedians, four comedians, to hate on topics and suggestions chosen by the audience. So this show just gets bigger and better, and it's a bit different to anything else there is on the fringe. It's, it's always
1: quite institutions that it's just sort of, oh, this is a thing now.
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's just grown and grown, and every year, touch wood, it continues. We've been at capacity turning a raise selling merchandise people love it they come back they come back multiple times during the fringe they come back year on year randomly i was in australia and we were just chatting and someone, someone 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 said oh i know you you you're the guy from hating live that was mental um, so people really like it and we've toured it now in australia as well and we've toured it in throughout the uk so it's getting bigger and bigger and this year hopefully will be our biggest yet
1: what do you want person of interest to be in september when you finish the fringe run, what happens to the show? What are your hopes for the show afterwards?
4: I would like to talk. So my goals for this fringe, I've got lofty goals and I've got more achievable, realistic goals. So because I've always performed on the free fringe, my solo shows and live. I think I've kind of gone under the radar somewhat from the comedy aficionados or the comedy press. Like they'll know me. If you're in comedy, you should have some semblance of me. So this year, what I'm hoping is with Persian of Interest, because it's in a better venue, a little bit more prestige. People will come and they'll see that there's other shows outside of just this, you know, big four bubble. But if you kind of spread your wings a little bit more, there's this, there's different voices. Because right now, there's a push in comedy for diversity. It's all like, oh, with diversity. And fair enough, if you look, there's different people of different colors. But if you close your eyes, they're all the same voice. They're all from the same echelons of society. They're all coming from the same place. And we're getting a very particular, particular tone and point of view in comedy right now. And in this country, in my opinion, as someone who's mixed race, what's far more... Uh, far more kind of a, a bigger issue for, that we face as a country is class. Class in this issue is bigger than race. Classism is bigger than racism. And I say that as a mixed race person, a dad who's brown, proper brown, not close my eyes squint, the guy's brown. And he'll tell you the same thing because I've, I've argued with this. all classes, And that's just how it is. And it permeates from the top down. Like we have a queen. It's like it's 2019. Why have we got a rural family in 2019? What's going on? So, it's just like classism is a big thing. So, there's a big push for diversity. But if you look at any of these so called diverse acts or whoever who's being pushed this year at the fringe, you look at them, listen to them, and do a little cursory research and see where they come from, what their background is. And you'll be surprised at how diverse they are when they're all coming from Oxbridge and places like that and saying all this with six grand a year terms.
1: So, if our listeners were wanting to. Get outside of that bubble, and who would you push them towards? Who would you recommend, apart from yourself and the rest of the rest of the team at Hinton Live?
4: I mean, I'm obviously going to say go see Leo because he's yep. my friend. I find him funny. I find him provocative, and he's a he's a good comedian. There's loads of comedians I like, but I mean, I'm gonna this year I, Michelle Deswort, for example. So she is a Jewish black uh, female comedian, right? but she's from Brixton, she's lived in New York for the last decade, she's got life experience, and when you hear her talk, it's not just some clipped Oxford tones saying, oh my life, you know, she's got something to say, she's lived a life, uh, she's doing a show, um, her show this year is about how she's given up drugs and alcohol, and she's clean and sober for, for the first time um, in, in years, and it's Touches. she's great she's a, a real powerful female comedian with a unique voice different and from like a not from a working class perspective she's not just saying you know what i mean she's got something to say a little bit of bite about her go to a really terrible show the worst show the worst absolute worst and you'll think this is the most boring this is the worst thing i've ever done to myself and it'll be a thing that you will live with you a story for the rest of your life you'll be saying oh remember that time we went and we saw the worst thing and you'll have it as a memory for the re- you'll never you'll forget a pretty good show but the thing you will is ne- that
1: worst thing will be one of the most memorable moments of exactly. your life exactly and also ex- and somebody thought that was the best you know went, you know what this is my best show <laughs> this is what i can put on stage this is me
4: Exactly and also it sets a barometer for what you're really seeing then you know where to calibrate you think oh this is a rubbish show no this isn't a rubbish show I'll tell you a rubbish show (laughs) you go and then you will set your barometer correctly and you'll know a rubbish show but one time we had some some friends some flatmates and they did a free fringe show and they said audience were complaining the rubbish and they said well, just the audiences are stupid. They just don't understand. This is deliberately meant to be bad. And we were like, well, why don't you try and deliberately try and make it good? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot harder to be deliberately good. But anyway, go see a rub. Don't, uh, sometimes the just rubbish, enjoy the fringe. Yeah, enjoy the fringe. Sometimes the rubbish shows are the funnest. Yep. You'll remember them much longer than like an average. A- l- like,
1: a, like a very perfectly polished, ready for the mythical Netflix deal, yeah. sitting
4: there in an 800-seater theatre.
1: Yeah, find Bl- something else. Bland. Find something else. And if not, we're going to have a bundle of recommendations for you. Nico Yearwood, go to
4: his show as well. He's great. And I think um,
1: Edward Axel, which is always not not a bad show, but it's just so off-center and off-beam. Yeah. Um, You either click immediately with his humor, or you're just like, it's a man with a PowerPoint being terrible for an hour. (laughs) And he clicks with my sense of humor, and he's wonderful, but at the same time, there is no in-between with him. It's uh, just, you, you tuned into him, or what is this? <laughs> Perfect French. Right. Darius, yes. uh, Persian of Interest.
4: Uh, remind us where your show is on. So, 2.20 at the Tron. Uh, and hitting and live is? 10.30 at the Big Cave. Lovely. Thanks for your time. Thank, Thank you oh, for having might me. Might as well just say,
1: before we do go, if we want to find you online, more details uh, and stuff.
4: Instagram, Persian of Interest, darisdavies.com. There we go. Daris, Thank you for having me. Thanks for your time. Enjoy your fringe.
1: Darius Davis there with both Persian of Interest and Hate and Live. Right, we're going to take some music now from Steve Garrett and his show Guitar Discovery. Now, this is only on tonight, the seven, Saturday the 17th. Uh, so uh, if you are catching this up uh, show later on in the week, then uh, here's a the little flavor of the show. For those of you still looking, a little taste of the show uh, that he calls Guitar Discovery. And a little track that he calls broad day. day there from Steve Garrett, part of his show Guitar Discovery, which is taking place at St. Mark's today, Saturday the 17th. Right then, we will carry on. And now, with a musical flavour, Helena Fox and Garant Owen. Joining me now from Rust the Musical, we have... Garen Owen. Yes, hello.
5: And we have... Uh, So I wrote the book of lyrics, I'm Helena Fox. I first had the idea for Rust a year ago now, during last year's Edinburgh Fringe, when it struck me uh, that I'd never seen a musical or a stage show that really focused on the process of recovery from mental illness rather than either the illness itself or sort of the aftermath. This angle of really the recovery process is really interesting. And I wanted to write a show based on my own experiences of being in rehab a couple of years ago um, because I think whenever anyone tries to write about stuff like mental health when they don't have lived experience, it inevitably always ends up quite pastiche or something not quite right about it. So I was was quite keen to tell the story. How
1: comfortable was it to write?
5: Um, I think because I'm so much better now. It was definitely coming from a place of recovery. Then, in a way, it, it... has just felt like quite a privilege to be able to write it and to be in a place where I can do that because I think if it, if I was any sort of further back in my illnesses it would just have been too overwhelming too difficult to write um, and to listen to every day um, but to be able to do it from place of recovery as I say is just such a privilege. So
1: you're, you're, you're close enough to still be in touch with the experience but far enough away that you can have an entire fringe run and be put through the ringer and face up to it every single day as well
5: yes exactly and i certainly sort of used old diary entries or things i remembered saying to medical professionals and stuff to really try and tap back into being in that place but obviously with the awareness that i do have to protect myself from it because listening to it every day is is intense as you say
1: does that make it more challenging as a writer taking on material that is so so close to your emotional core
5: i think so um and also i think i was really aware that I didn't want this to be a show that would only be interesting to me because it was about myself, um, which is why I was really keen to get someone else on board and get an assistant director as well as a director who wasn't me from the start um, because I was so aware that it could end up being really blinkered and like way too self centered for any other audience member to enjoy.
1: Which is where Grant comes in. Hello. <laughs> so, what is it like when you
0: get a project like this where you look at it and it is so intensely personal? Um, I mean, so when I. So when I was uh, introduced to the project, it was as a composer role, and I I we met, I met with Helena. We talked about it, and I loved the idea so much. I asked if I could direct it as well. And it was just because it was so overwhelming and so inspiring, really. I mean, the I, I think also when when Helena first told me it's a show about rehab, my mind instantly went alcoholic and drug addicts. That's that's the I think the cultural stereotypes now of rehab, and that's the cliche kind of we live with. And I was so blown away to and like shocked really to find out that there was there's so many other things. There's so many more, so much more to rehab. So many more things you can be cured from. So many different types of addictions. And suddenly, once she told me that the, the so our protagonist Evie um, is going uh, to rehab for a recovery of eating disorder, um, and and int- her introducing me to all the different characters, I suddenly realised there's so much more to this idea of rehab than I could have wanted. And it was, and I was so excited to learn from Helen to draw from her experience and be able to tell that story to make right that cultural cliche wrong. And at which point
1: was the decision made to go, you know what, this needs to be a musical.
5: Um, I think that was something I always wanted from the start. Um, I think I remember really distinctly when I pitched it to the university society who have gone on to fund it. Um, it was. I really remember saying music can sort of evoke emotions in a way that words alone just can't um, because words can be powerful. But I think with music, the power is increased. And so that was something I really wanted um, to engage with. And I think also something that I really wanted to emphasize in the end product was the sense of community and the camaraderie from when I was in rehab. And I think, again, music and musical theater is actually such a good way to show that.
0: Yeah, I mean, in, when, um, when we were st- first trying to put the show together and work out where do songs come in this and how do we, how do we fit rehab and the 28 days of recovery into one hour, um, we're going to have to make some concessions and kind of acknowledge to the audience, this, this is ultimately a one hour show, we can't really capture the whole thing. But we can use songs to, if we pitch the song at the right place, with the right character and it has the right progression through it, then we can hopefully at least cover a lot of the ground um, and so I think we have seven songs in total um, but we've had to kind of cut them down like cut a verse out of here cut a verse out of here, just so we can keep it in that one hour time frame but I think those seven songs all have such a critical like function and, and it was when we would come to cut we had to come down to cutting from 75 minutes to 60 and we just couldn't lose any of those songs even though it would have been such a relief from us that would be four minutes gone but they all yeah we really want to make sure each song is packed almost like wordsmithing just to get it down just to shade yeah, it into this because so much of Helena's writing is uh, is so oh, I don't know how to, don't to blow your intro a bit too much now but it's 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 the personal relationships that really had such an impact in the re- process of recovery and so dialogue scenes naturally are quite important to that but and it's quite and ultimately when someone says something someone says something back you, you've, you, the seconds are adding up and you have to start thinking so critically about what is this second of theatre really adding to our show we really had to pack it in um yeah you know, I, was,
5: I was just gonna say we were so pleased when we got a review that said no words have been wasted because we spent the entire journey up to edinburgh sat there with the script like this has to go this is being so ruthless about yeah,
0: yeah we we filmed the preview we did a preview in um in guildford uh, the day before we came up and that came to 75 minutes on the car we literally had the in a movie software and we were chopping and changing seconds off till we got to 60 minutes it was quite intense so it has a life after the fringe
1: do you then bring it back to the 75 minute version
0: or is there something about the 60 minute version where you go we no, it stays there I mean i definitely want to bring back those verses in the songs i mean i would love to get them back but i don't know about you i feel like it was a very it's always a very useful process having to cut down you really work out where is the where is the matter here like what is the what is the point of this line
5: yeah i would agree that i think if things were to come back it would definitely be the music that came back first and like verses in songs that we had to lose but in terms of the um it, it, it's, it's, it was so difficult to cut bits, but it does force you to make sure you're not being self-indulgent or sort of keeping in line because you really like it, but actually it does nothing for the narrative. So I think we both feel a bit strange bringing back some dialogue, but the cast are very sad to lose some bits, so maybe they'll force us to <laughs> put back a line.
1: <laughs> but then what's it like in terms, you said there about narrative, what's the audience experience like? Because we, we, there is rehab, there's the 28 days, there's everything that happens every day after the 28 days and you've got to get that into now. So how, how do you build that emotional connection to the audience?
5: Well, um, again, this was something that we talked about a lot um, because we wanted it to be sort of quite thought-provoking and encourage reflection for the audience as a show, um, but also not, not in a sense that makes the audience unnecessarily uncomfortable or distressed or anything like that. Um, but one of the things we did is we have one character who breaks the fourth wall and speaks to the audience four times over the course of the show. And again, we we discussed a lot whether we were going to do this because to decide to break the fourth wall in quite a minimalistic, um, serious, if you like, musical is quite a big decision to make. But I think that hopefully the way we've done it um, really draws the audience more into the story and makes them consider their own relationship with what's happening on stage, be it because they've had their own experiences with mental illness or someone they love has or they've realised something they thought about rehab has been changed. Um, Hopefully we've done that.
0: Yeah, I mean, when, when we would kind of think, what I, I, certainly from my experience from last year's Fringe, I was reflecting what shows have stood out with me, what stood, stood out to me. And it was always the ones that had told the story in an interesting way. So it, but the story was always great, but they had done something interesting that made me think about it. I thought, how can we do that with this? And why, why should we tell this story of recovery in one hour in a musical format? at the fringe rather than a TV show or a book or whatever and we realised yes we've got the music um, but also we thought we could perhaps use this character Vanessa so the psychiatrist is the one who breaks the fourth wall and she's the one who has these conversations with the audience because the show is comes uh, the show is from the eyes of Evie the protagonist and if and if um, Vanessa didn't break the fourth wall our only scenes with Vanessa would be the one on one psychiatry sessions and that might give a very limited view we think of vanessa as a character like one of one of the audience members turned to me after one of the shows and said oh she's that writer's really got it in for the psychiatrist hasn't she um so we were quite keen to avoid that and i think um in make using this character vanessa to be the person who talks to the audience she talks about the state of mental health services in the minute she talks um about uh evie and kind of the, the doctor's notes and the medical notes what brought her here we we use her a lot to carry the, kind of this information and i think and so one of the things we were keen to do with this Vanessa character was to acknowledge to the audience that we are compressing 28 days in rehab into a one-hour musical. And so in her final of the speeches, she kind of reflects on uh, what it takes or how, what, is a length, how, what is a length of time that, you, that we could do on stage to, to show this kind of process of change, how long is long enough really to, to change someone's life, that kind of idea.
1: And, and that essentially boils down the whole experience. How long does it take?
5: Um, and obviously that's quite a question and I don't know if it can necessarily be answered. Um, and it's I going to be an individual answer for well, everybody. Well, exactly, through completely. And that's, like that's again, something that I really, really tried to show in Rust. Um, so when, when I sat down to write it, I really thought about the different outcomes of the people that I was in rehab with and you know, where where they are now and try to reflect that in the characters in Rust to show that recovery is not a linear process. It's not a process that happens overnight. It certainly happens in different time periods for everyone. I mean, for me, like my life is unrecognisable to how it was when I went to rehab completely. Uh, but obviously that's not the case for everyone. Um, so, yeah, that that's something we've really tried to get across with the show is is display like how varied that can be for different people
1: and the show already has another booking outside of the fringe as well
5: yes so we're doing a home run if you like um in cambridge in november next term so that's that's mid to late november at the adc theater in cambridge
1: okay and details will be up there on the website as well it continues to run right through until the end of the fringe it's a fantastic piece of work. Thanks really for bringing it up to the fringe, and thanks for coming on to the shory as well. So it is a musical, so it be remiss of me not to go,
0: have you got a track ready for us? <laughs> um, well, we could uh, give you a little clip of the title song, Rusted, which is sung by either character Evie, our protagonist, and um, Caroline and Ollie. There we go. And you have more details on Rust back at our website,
1: emberfringe.thepodcastcorner.com where you have a link straight through to the ticket office. Once more, Hannah, Garant, thank you. This is Rusted. Thank you. Thank you. Opening track there from the musical Rust, which is taking place at the space throughout the entire run of The Fringe. And Helena Fox and Grant Owen explaining that show for us as well in a delightful, thought-provoking interview. Right, we are nearly at the top of the hour for the show, so we're just gonna lighten the mood up just a little tiny bit as I speak to one half of gay and a non-gay James Barr, but he's got a solo show as well as his podcast we're gonna he's doing with Dan Hudson later on in the week.
6: G-N-G, A-G-A-A-N-G, gay, non-gay. It's so funny, everyone gives it a different um, uh, acronym. It's so ridiculous.
1: Yes. I'm so glad I was recording because that's perfect. I didn't have an introduction and now you've just done really? that. Yeah, so we've just jumped in and the letter's G-N-G, like a demented fringe version of <laughs> Countdown. James Barr joins me now from Dictionary Corner. Or should Hi. it be Definition Corner? Yes,
6: it should. Or Acronym Corner.
1: It's then it would be the AC. the
6: ring, would it? What's that? AC why AC yeah. because
1: it would be acronym corner oh yeah <laughs> oh wow get oh that coffee God. down your neck and <laughs> I'll introduce you me not me James <laughs> Barr joins me now in desperate need of caffeine go on get that while I do the introduction <laughs> um, Thirst Trap so yep keep the coffee going down as well we've got a lead in and set up there as well it looks like I've rehearsed it I haven't seriously I'm winging <laughs> it um, keep going keep going more no, coffee just keep drinking it keep yeah, drinking the coffee Yep. Yeah. i um, up here with two shills. Um solo show uh, which is Thirst Trap which we'll start off with and the A Gay and Normal. a um, a podcast that is significantly larger than this one and most podcasts in the UK has been I mean, doing a week of
6: live recordings. That's obviously not true. Your podcast is huge. Let's not get sizest about it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's doing really well. I'm really nice deflection. Of it. You must be English. I am. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Where should we start? Do you want to start with um, TNG or Thirst Trap?
6: Um, let's start with, with Thirst Trap. Yeah. Let's start with Thirst Trap. Um, a th- th- solo show, it's been running the whole fringe. Yeah, uh, it has. Are you still enjoying it? I am enjoying it. I love it actually. I really I get a real buzz from the audience when they leave. Because they all seem really happy, which is amazing, and I'm kind. Of, to be honest, I'm kind of only doing it so tired. Ask
1: if the audience were still loving. Ask if you still <laughs> loved it. Yeah, yeah. I'm
6: tired. I'm tired. This is a long fringe, isn't it? 25 shows back to back. That's intense.
1: But I am still enjoying it. So, have you done a full fringe run before? No, this is my first. Because you, you popped up last year to do like two recordings of yourself and down from the Edinburgh. Yeah, and I also
6: did two weeks like work in progress. Mm-hmm. And that went really well, but it did kind of break me. So for some reason I decided to come back.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know what will help?
6: Doing more. Doing it again. No, I think if you face something that's difficult, you, you've got to keep going. You've got to push and, and achieve it. So
1: and Thrust Trap really is about failure and trying to keep going and trying to find different ways of doing things and modern life and yeah. reflection and mirrors. Trying to find
6: love, basically. It sounds very Chekhovian now, doesn't it? Does it? You made it sound a lot more intelligent than it is. It's, it, basically it's not really. It's, you, it's about you a... trying to find somebody. Yeah, it's yeah. me trying to find someone, yeah to love me <laughs> and what i've done is i've decided to um rather than use dating apps i've decided to use an audience um to work out where i'm going wrong
1: for, for somebody like me who is not conversant with the 21st century way of dating with the apps and the social media and everything how much of a minefield
6: is it it's um it is a it's a massive minefield i mean without going into detail um you can load up there's no, there's no human connection on there because you'll load up an app and someone's even someone's name will be what they're looking for as opposed to who they are. So it'll say <laughs> thirsty <laughs> or uh, looking for now. You're feeling you a know? bit on the spot now, aren't you? No, I'm you? <laughs> trying not to say anything uh, adult. Um, it'll say stuff like looking for now um, rather than you know, looking for love or whatever. It's not, it's not really real. It's difficult to find a real connection. And also people just send you illicit photographs without permission. So there's a lot of that on there as well. And this isn't just for gay people, this is for all sorts of people. Like so many women I know just get the worst messages from men who have no idea how to talk to women. So we're all finding this problem quite difficult in 2019. Um, It's a real widespread thing. And dating apps have obviously surged into success. So everyone is using them. But and, and it, it, it almost makes it more creates a sort of avalanche
1: so of, and then you're you're doing more about presentation and more and more and well, more so much choice. Yeah, you are trying so much. Well, you choice for apps for the first of all, mm.
6: and then for for men or women or whatever, because like you are you're trying to impress everyone, and then you're just seeking validation from everyone. It's the same on Instagram or Facebook, to be honest. Like my show is called Thirst Trap, and what a thirst trap is is someone that posts on social media. To attract attention so they'll post a sexy photograph to attract attention and we're all doing that we're all attracting attention like even your mum probably did the ice bucket challenge I think (laughs) it's a really widespread problem I think we're all seeking attention and validation and and a solution for our lives through social media uh, rather than looking inwardly
1: yeah you said there's someone going onto a dating app how much of this then is autobiographical how much is this I'm just going for a funny situation what's the blurred edge that you've got here
6: it's all autobiographical. It's all about everything I've been through and the journey that I've been on in trying to find someone. <laughs> and haven't had much luck with that. And then in the show, I take audience members on dates to try and find someone. So,
1: as in recreating dates? Or? No,
6: these are brand new dates. Every single show, I, I meet the person and I ask them who they are. They're really normal dates, to be honest. Um, but I tend to get pretty intense with them because... I'm no holds barred. Like is, I is that the off my point filter. where you
1: switch into being that sort of comic who's just going to exaggerate everything or in the dates? or?
6: I guess I'm playing a character, but I don't know if I am, really. What I'm actually playing is the true version of me when I've not filtered myself to look like I'm
1: really chill. <laughs> <laughs> so it strikes me that in this messy, mixed-up, crazy world, you've only found one constant partner in all of this. Oh, who's that? Dan, who's yes. the other one from your gay and a non-gay podcast? My
6: non-gay friend, yeah. He he definitely is my uh, my one true love, I think. We have a better relationship than I've had with a lot of men. Um, so tell us
1: about, firstly, this is based off a podcast, so let's start there. Tell us a little bit about the podcast. So the podcast,
6: so we're, we're doing the podcast live in Edinburgh, Um, and our podcast is basically... Is it a different show every night, or are you recording yeah.
1: the same thing and just making it like a Netflix special and taking the best reaction?
6: No, <laughs> no, we're going to put it out every single day. Um, There'll be a new episode coming out every time we've recorded one. Um, There might be some minor edits, you know, but... Ultimately, yeah, it's a, it's a fresh episode every night with different topics and different guests. I'm super excited about it, actually. I think it will be really fun.
1: And I, I, I know you deflected very well at the start of the podcast, and I appreciate that. But this is a, one of these moments where you have a podcast that is a bit more than fluff. It's made a lot of difference to people's life. It's made a lot of people think.
6: Okay, so my friend Talia is Dan's girlfriend. And Talia moved abroad and basically said, well, you look after Dan. And said to Dan we look after James and neither of us knew that and we went in the studio to record it because she thought it'd be hilarious and we realized that despite having different sexualities that was actually the one thing that didn't really disconnect us it was everything else like because we have nothing in common we don't like the same music we don't like the same TV shows and I think in in our world currently we're very divided um, and it's and we didn't know we were doing this at the time, but what's happened is we've created this bond despite our differences. And that's something that's quite different and refreshing and just proves that you know, human connection can withstand anything.
1: It's almost the ultimate odd couple of completely different experiences and backgrounds. For example, I remember listening to one episode where you were talking about uh, PrEP medication. Right. Uh, and both of you had different backgrounds and knowledge of what that drug could do and the impact it had socially.
6: Yeah. And, and that drug, in case you don't know, is um, it's a drug that can, well, it's almost like uh, wearing a condom internally. It can protect you against HIV infection. Uh, and more importantly, it can stop the spread of HIV um, infection. And that's so, so important. It's not necessarily widely available. You have to pay for it in certain places, um, but it, hopefully is, is helping to get new infections down to 0%. And that's the aim of PrEP. Obviously, it doesn't protect you against other STIs. Um, but yeah, Dan and I had a really, a really good conversation about that. But we were both learning on the go in terms You're of both that. sort
1: of learning from different bits of a Venn diagram.
6: Right. Because, you know, he would say, well, why are you having unprotected sex? And I'd be like, well, why are straight people having unprotected sex? And he didn't have an, like, an answer to that. And yeah, there's just so many confusing things between being a gay and a non-gay, and I'm surprised that we still have things to talk about, but every single time we get together, there's something new that we haven't discussed that needs to be discussed.
1: Well, you've got a week coming up, so there better be <laughs> at least another week of material.
6: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> but uh, Building Bridges there, um, serious uh, and um, comedic with you. I mean, it show.
6: sounds so serious, the way we've been talking about both shows, so deep. But obviously both are kind of yes, comedy I mean, shows. I think deep. that
1: has to be stressed, but there again, comedy is just as great big reflection of truth. And, oh my goodness, yeah. and unless you have the bridges into different areas you can't have fun sharing them
6: mm. yeah they always say there's truth in comedy for my solo show and for a gay and a non-gay I wonder if I've mined too much truth because it, do- it has hurt a bit but it is also funny <laughs> Remind us when both your shows are on James So Thirst Trap uh, is on every day at White Belly, Underbelly, Cowgate from 5.20pm and a gay and a non-gay is live at bristow square underbelly every evening at 10 25 p.m until the 25th of august
1: and for those people who aren't going to be in edinburgh when do the podcasts go out are the, the podcast should come out
6: they? no they'll probably come out maybe a week after and you can get them from gay and you'll
1: find that in itunes and spotify yeah and all itunes the other spotify usual
6: everywhere places. again and on gay, yeah thanks and for james listening james where me. we can find more about you personal website my socials are at i'm james Barr, and you can find my website i'm james
1: I'm not. I am. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No apostrophe. apostrophe. No apostrophe. Because no you don't have that in Unix code for your URLs. That's so geeky. <laughs> ah, that's how it works. That's how we make it all go. James, thanks for your time. Thank you. James Barr there, missing Dan Hudson. So if you want to see him together, it's gay, no gay. If you want to see just James, then Thirst Trap is on. Both of those are at the Unbrelly. Dan is not doing a solo show, but you'll pick him up on national radio as well. Right, that's it. That is your Fringe for today. Thanks very much for everybody who uh, joined in with the show. Helen Owen, Garant Owen, Darius Davis, Madeline Skipsey and James Barr. Music was uh, from Steve Garrett and Carly E. And the team behind Rust as well. More details and show at EdinburghFringe.ThepodcastCorner.com. More tickets at Edfringe.com. You can carry on listening uh, to music and radio with our partners at Radio 6 International at Radio 6.com 24 7. But for now, go and enjoy Edinburgh. I'll catch you next
0: of Radio 6 International. Copyright 2019.